Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are watching Casino Royale. After earning 00 status and a license to kill, secret agent James Bond sets out on his first mission as 007. Bond must defeat a private banker funding terrorists in a high-stakes game of poker at Casino Royale Montenegro. And yes, our podcast is still alive because we've seen this movie. I have watched this particular movie three times this week. This week. This week alone. Because we've already watched this Bond. Um, <laughs> and because of we've already watched this Bond, we need a guest to dissect its importance in the franchise. Our guest this week is one third of the incredible Keanu Reeves-tastic podcast, Cool Breeze Over the Mountains. It is Andrew Gormley. Andrew, welcome. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Thank you for being here. Oh, we're we're gonna get into some good stuff today. I have a I have a good feeling about what uh, what's in store for us. I'm very excited. When we put out the call for Bond guests, you said Casino Royale. I want Casino Royale, and we had to we had to clarify because there's two Casino Royales in the the Bond universe. Really. You really are going to bring this yeah. up? I can't not. It's part of the universe. Um, Actually, there are three Casino Royales <laughs> in the Bond universe because in 1954, there was a television version. I actually heard you push your glasses up when you said that. So that's that's how convincing that was. So there you go. 100% did. I watched him do it. <laughs> You, what you didn't hear was the dirty, dirty look I gave to you. Of course. <laughs> right. But you felt it. I know you felt it because it was there. Yeah. So there, there was a previous Casino Royale and that was my worst rated film was 2019 that I was forced to watch. <laughs> um, so that was not that one. You wanted the good one. <laughs> right. That's the one we're going to talk about today. But first, what is your history with the James Bond franchise? So... It's very special to me. I used to watch some of these with my grandfather, which was kind of a cool thing. He was like old school mm -hmm. James Bond kind of guy. He, dig, he dug Connery and Dalton and all that. And coming into it myself, I was at the perfect age for Goldeneye. So Pierce Brosnan was my kind of entry point. And obviously the corresponding N64 game was a great mm -hmm. tie-in to bring me into that world even more. But yeah, I've I've... I've watched every one of the movies at least once, and then the good ones, in my opinion, the, some of the better ones more than once. So yeah, I've I've been at this for. I'm excited for the new one, No Time to mm -hmm. Die, even though it got pushed back. But yeah, yeah, I this specific movie was an an incredible turning point for me for the franchise because uh, I think it was Die Another Day before this one, or am I getting yeah. that right? Correct. Yeah. Yes. And that was, a, that was a real low point. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the way the way we came out on that was it was a low point. But goddamn, did they swing for the fences? Sure. Something. And yeah. so, you know, it was still an entertaining train wreck. I, yes. Unlike some of those 80s Roger Moore movies. <laughs> Regardless, like you got to give it up for a series that's been around this long. Obviously, they're not as they're not continuous, at least up until recently. They're not a continuous thing per se, but like, mm -hmm. it's cool that it's been around this long and is actually still relevant and still people, you know, Bond, James Bond, people know that. Yeah, vodka Martini, Shaking Nuts, it's cool. It's all, it's in the zeitgeist still. It's iconic and it's, it's cool to like James Bond. Nobody's 
a, a dork for liking James Bond. <laughs> like, you can be dorky and nerdy about how much you like James Bond, but liking James Bond as a thing doesn't make you a dork. Like, yes. This, I would say this is my actual James Bond. <laughs> this movie came out when my movie snobbery had fully taken hold. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> because this is the first James Bond movie that I saw, and I, I remember seeing the preview and being like, oh, we got a new James Bond. This movie looks good. <laughs> like, wait and a minute. This is different. I would see this regardless of James Bond having anything to do with it. That's, this is different. Yes. Well, that's it, right? Like, yeah. great genre films, right? Mm -hmm. If you remove the things that make them genre, and it's uh -huh. still a good film, that is something really, really special. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to be the, uh, the contrarian voice here a little bit. Fine. This movie is fantastic. We're not, I'm not going to debate that issue here today. Great. End of podcast. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> what I will say is we've gone on this journey. We've watched a lot of movies. Out of the list, we've, we found like five or six that were really great mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to me. Having seen all of these, there is something in the way this story is told that I think from Russia with Love and Goldfinger are just slightly better than this movie. Uh, uh, and as we go through this, there are two issues okay. primarily that come to me. One is that they are awesome action sequences, but they go on forever. There were a couple of these action sequences that I was like, I thought this was like five minutes and it's like 12. <laughs> right. Fair. That whole That's sequence in Nigeria, it goes on forever. And it is really well done. But I didn't think about the fact that it's like, after a while, I'm checked out. Because I was like, is this going to end at any point? And I think there's some fat in this story and the way it's written that should have been trimmed out. I will also say that I'm going to have to reserve judgment to later, but I don't even know that this might be my favorite Daniel Craig Bond movie. Okay, okay. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. I, there's, I mean, there's literally only one other one it could be. So I, yeah. I'll just, okay. <laughs> it's If it's that one, all right. <laughs> I cannot say that this is my favorite Daniel Craig. This movie is the shit. <laughs> and it is mm -hmm. at least, at the very least, it is top five of the Bond films. Oh, absolutely. There are only six movies that I would say are must-see Bond films. <laughs> I, Out of 24? <laughs> and we've named three of them already. Nice. I know. Like, there's there's two that I fully understand people putting in front of this one, but this one is really making them work hard for it. Okay. We've set the table. Let's get into this movie. The budget for this film was $150 million. It's actually a little lower than Die Another Day. Die Another Day was around $230 million. They didn't need to have an invisible car. They didn't need an invisible car. <laughs> I know. We reined it in. <laughs> that invisible car was cool. I don't care what anyone says. All right. Opening <laughs> weekend was $41 million. U.S. gross made about $167,500,000. But worldwide, this movie made $616,500,000. Not bad. Not bad. It is crazy to see that this movie became a blockbuster and largely on worldwide box office. I mean, UK loves this film. This is also one of the rare franchises that does super well in the US that it get, its premiere date 
is in the UK before it comes here. Oh, yeah. They it's get a- it first, which is totally fair and earned and appropriate. <laughs> it's, a whole, it's, it- it's one of those things that like, we don't get it first. We're America. Well, it's a, whole, it's a whole royal premiere in England for James Bond. Like, it's a charity event. I know. They deserve it. So. <laughs> it's James Bond. He is, he is Britain. <laughs> Their greatest export. Come on. It, it is. This movie was a long time coming. This was the original film that Albert Broccoli and Harry Saltzman, Salty Broccoli themselves, mm. always wanted to make from day one. This mm. is the story they wanted to start with. Yep. But it had already been produced, like we talked about. NBC in 1954 had done a television adaptation in which Peter Lorre played Le Chief, <laughs> which is badass casting. That is Interesting. Cool. Yeah. And so they didn't have the rights. Columbia had the rights to Casino Royale and kept it. And that's why the 67 movie got retained. They were trying to keep this little piece of James Bond for themselves away from this massive franchise. So after a long, long time of legal wrangling, Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson. Those are his kids. Barbara Broccoli is his kid. Michael Wilson is his son-in-law. Mm-hmm. who produced and wrote a bunch of the 80s movies and was also has been a producer on it since then. Okay. They weren't able to secure the rights until 2000. That was when they settled a $40 million lawsuit because Sony was ready to do a new adaptation of Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. So they get into a fight over it. It keeps going. Sony eventually sold it to MGM to get the rights to Spider-Man. Ah. That was that settlement. The ironic twist, though, is that in 2005, MGM again went bankrupt. Sony <laughs> bought them, and Casino Royale still got released under the Sony banner. That's so so it all worked out for Sony. <laughs> it's still working out for Sony. They're making yeah. money off of Spider-Man. Hand over fist with these two franchises. They just will never stop making these films. Either one. Well, part of it is, and it's funny, Bond has always been tied to studios that keep dying. <laughs> <laughs> they were with United Artists forever. Yeah. yeah. Then UA went under and they went to MGM. Then MGM went under. Mm-hmm. So finally they're with Sony and Columbia, but it's just like, good Lord. They deliberately reined in the product placement for this film because of how much backlash Die Another Day got. Mm-hmm. It was mostly known by the nickname Buy Another Day. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> And wise. Because the reports were that the product placement was responsible for 70 to $120 million worth of budget. Ooh, yeah, that's too much control of what's happening in your film. And it's not even this control. It's just like you've now hamstrung yourself into showing off all of this bullshit. <laughs> well, and right. because whoever gives you the most money, you have to give them the most screen time. <laughs> yeah, whatever the contract says. Yeah, pretty much. And they wanted to reintroduce Spectre as the main villains. Cool. But they were still dealing with the Kevin McClory lawsuit from Thunderball. Fuck. <laughs> so, I mean, that did not end until McClory died. Upon his death, they finally reached a settlement with his estate that allowed Spectre to be used again. But McClory held on to that motherfucking right. Damn. Good for to him. his dying day. Good for him. And managed to get an unlicensed Bond movie with Sean Connery released in the interim. That's actually really good. Yeah. The movie's really good. Never say never again. Another underrated Bond movie. Great. And finally, 
This has the most BAFTA nominations for a Bond film. It got nominated for nine BAFTAs. Damn. Best British film, adapted screenplay, actor in a leading role for Daniel Craig, film music, cinematography, editing, production design, sound, and special visual effects. Yeah, it's amazing. They raised the technical capabilities and the writing level for this movie. And that is the big difference. Mm Mm-hmm. And that gets us into our writers. Mm-hmm. Now, the two guys that we've talked about, they are now the new Richard Maybaum, the very original screenwriter, and Michael G. Wilson, who started writing in the 70s. Mm-hmm. We have two new guys who fulfill that role. And they're going to be writing on all of the rest of our Bond films. It's Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, mm-hmm. who are most known for writing Plunkett and McLean before any of this. Now, they're there ostensibly to just be the Bond guys. We're here to figure out how to put in the gadgets, put in the Bond story, get the formula moving. Make sure we we meet our Bond quota for the movie. There you go. (laughs) Cool. They're the the studio guys. Yeah. The interesting twist, starting with this movie, is that they're bringing in somebody outside. Yay! And the guy that they hired is Paul fucking Haggis. Now, we talked about Paul Haggis when we discussed Million Dollar Baby for our Oscar series. Kick-ass movie. And the script is probably the absolute best thing about that movie. I mean, the performances are pretty good, too. I'm just saying, that script is incredibly well done. It's true. It it is. It is impeccable. And it's the shining star of that film. So his credits before this, he did tons of sitcoms and television writing, created Walker, Texas Ranger, and Family Law, then wrote Crash, The Last Kiss, (laughs) Flags of Our Fathers, And of course, we talked about Million Dollar Baby. And after this, he wrote Letters from Iwo Jima, The Black Donnellys, In the Valley of Elah, Quantum of Solace, The Next Three Days, and Third Person. So we'll be talking about him again for Quantum of Solace as well. Cool. Mm -hmm. What do we think about the writing of this movie? I agree with your your previous criticism that the movie's a smidge long. It's got about like a half act too much. You know what I decided? What? The whole Bahamas segment should have been cut. Here's why. Because you can accomplish that same thing in Nigeria. Accomplish that same story point by the money getting taken. No, no, you you can't. Because we we need to have Daniel Craig coming out of the water. We gotta have a- <laughs> he needs his Halle Berry moment also. We need that eye candy. Right? We need the body shot. Okay, I mean, I know I, I had a, a very nice rant about appreciating Pierce Brosnan's chest hair, but I'm not going to say no to Daniel Craig here. Mm-hmm. It's great. Mm-hmm. So there's that. We need to establish that he is a good poker player. We'd never, if we don't establish that, the rest of the movie falls apart. We have to see that. So then maybe like the whole body world stuff. There's, there's a couple of segments too they, many here. I think we could keep all of it. They could have shortened it. It didn't have to go. The the tarmac scene could have yes. been much shorter. Yeah. The Bahama scene could have been shorter. Well, and even. Keep as- it because it's super fucking cool. But after you like catch him at the bottom of the crane, don't have him run into the consulate. Like, just, like it doesn't have to be all of that. Yeah. I'm just sitting there and it's like after five minutes, I'm going, wait, this keeps going. Yeah. I thought it was done after the crane and the construction site. Yeah. We could just tighten it up. So part of me agrees. But then there's another part of me that is upon rewatch of this. And I'm sure the two of you also experienced this where it's like, man, this whole movie is just him learning. 
right? Yes. Yes. By the end of this movie, he is, for all intents and purposes, James Bond. But at the beginning of this, like, I mean, literally, he is not, right? Like, not yet. But then, so, like, every one of the scenes, it feels like it takes a little bit longer than it should. And that's just Mm -hmm. because he's not at, like, full power yet. Correct. And I, I really, really like that about it, too. Like... The stuff in Nigeria where he's like, oh, you got caught mm-hmm. on the camera. And then we see him in the Bahamas and he's like, oh, I'm scoping out where the cameras are now. Like just little stuff that they throw in. Yeah. I'm like, I love all of that. I'm putting you in the game, replacing someone who's playing for a syndicate. According to Villiers, you're the best player in the service. Trust me, I wish it wasn't the case. I would ask you if you could remain emotionally detached. But I don't think that's your problem, is it, Bond? No. I absolutely love all that. I love that things go wrong for him. All the time. (laughs) It's not smooth. I love that the opening scene is in black and white. Yeah. And it's him becoming double O. Yeah. Because we've never seen that before, which is a great way to introduce a new fucking Bond. Yeah. Like, I remember sitting in the theater going, fuck (laughs) like this guy like i've watched a couple bonds they've never been assassins this guy is gonna fucking murder you there was that lull between you know die another day in this and uh, clearly Mm -hmm. a lot of legal things had to happen there too but also we had the born films come out in this time and this movie feels like a direct response to those because like you look at that you're like basically when the born identity right that came out you're like oh this is our new james bond this is we didn't oh that invisible car in the ice palace oh screw that we don't this. we don't need the gadget we just need a guy who's a crafty kick your ass guy and so like there yeah there are things that they could have tightened up but the story is amazing it it really develops who this guy it it sets this guy up so much to launch him there's always been an argument that there's the circular theory of bond that at the end of this movie you can immediately flow into Sean Connery's Doctor Now. Huh. Okay. Because there's the element of once he's become this fine point, now you have Connery cold assassin bond. Okay. And it flows its way through. Huh. It doesn't quite work because Thunderball and then really You Only Live Twice get absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> All right. right. But and always flow into at least one more film. <laughs> and then sure. oh, but if you but if you took Casino Royale, Doctor No from Russia with Love and Goldfinger and ran them all together, you would feel the same kind of progression and I, evolution. I, I could see that. Yeah. That makes sense to me. And it's something that they clearly paid attention to in creating this script. Yes. So that's there too. Just for me, there's something there's something about those gaps that I went, huh, I didn't really feel this the first time I watched it, but I'm feeling it now. And that is different. To your point about Bourne, the report is actually that Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson saw Batman Begins. Oh, fair. And immediately said, this is what we want to do with Bond. Oh, that makes total sense, too. Yeah. Going back to the, you know, like the genre film that works, even when you remove it. So not not Batman Begins necessarily, no, but The Dark Knight. You know, if you remove Batman and the Joker and it's just two guys, this guy heists and this guy fights crime is a cop or whatever. You're like, oh, shit, this movie is fantastic still. This, of course, is the first Bond movie since Moonraker to actually be based on an Ian Fleming novel. Cool. They hew pretty close to the novel. All right. For all intents and purposes. I think that's one of the other things that really helped with this is that they're working with a 
pretty powerhouse Bond novel. They've got really good source material to pull from here instead of some of the later stuff that he did. Well, yeah. that, that that helps for them to have a, a guidepost. Yeah. And especially this one, which is considered one of the classic Fleming novels. Sure. So it's like, okay, this is this is this is what we're gonna follow, and then we're gonna modernize it and tweak some things that don't make sense or you know, are a little too weird for Yeah. In fact, <laughs> Bond's first martini order is lifted straight from the novel itself. Yay! That whole get it with a lemon twist and that stuff. Oh, I like the it. Vesper. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Have you had a Vesper? Have either of you had a Vesper? No, no, I have not had a Vesper. It's delicious. I recommend it. I, it sounds delicious. As soon as this movie came out, I was like, well, I'm going to have one of those. <laughs> and <laughs> it does it's good. sound amazing. <laughs> Haggis's main contribution to the film was mostly rewriting the climax. So from what I can tell, we actually can thank Purvis and Wade for this movie, hmm. which is good to know. Yeah. Going forward. That is good to know that these two guys, especially after like being forced into a corner with Die Another Day, were like, hey, we can actually write good stuff too, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. This is our redemption. If you'll let us. <laughs> right. Fair. Um, is the lawsuit done? Can we write the thing we want to write? <laughs> they both actually came up with the idea for the sinking house in Venice after seeing how engineers had propped up the Leaning Tower of Pisa using air bladders. Oh, okay. That makes That's total cool. sense. I, I just assumed that was like a thing that they really did in Venice. I have no idea how some of those structures are still standing at all. Yeah. Well. And they also came up with the idea of Le Chief's bleeding eye. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was Your me. villain needs to have something. Something weird. Doesn't mm-hmm. have to be diamonds in his face, you know, not that weird. <laughs> but it needs to have, it's going to have something. Diamonds in his face while we change his race. Uh-huh. Right. And- <laughs> Whoops. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Oh, Whoops. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The origin story has been rumored since Roger Moore's retirement. Actually, it's been going on since before then. For Your Eyes Only was supposed to be a handover to a new Bond movie. Mm-hmm. So they've mm-hmm. been trying to do the origin story forever. A first draft of one of the 80s films had Bond in the Royal Navy before he was ever a double O. Mm-hmm. But Albert Broccoli rejected it. He thought audiences were not interested in a young James Bond. Bullshit. We are. I want it. I want it now. Yeah. Broccoli and Wilson demanded that two story elements had to be included in the film. One was the torture sequence by the chief. Devastating. I love it. Good. <laughs> the second was the final line of the novel. If you do need time. Why should I need more time? Job's done. The bitch is dead. Okay. God, that hurt to hear. It hurt my heart. It is painful, but it is also so in character. It's important. Right. You've it got to show, like, you have to see him, like, he's he's got to flip that switch so he can go on to the next thing. Especially with a woman who betrayed him. Yeah. It was like, he, he has to turn into... A cold monster. Like his job is to be a double O. Uh-huh. Yeah. For all of Ian Fleming's horrible, horrible, racist, misogynist faults, that's one hell of a line for that character. Yep. Yeah. Now, who could have been better? For writing? For writing and also flowing into directing. Okay. Because we're going to talk about Quentin Tarantino. No. Don't wanna. (laughs) (laughs) So Tarantino, who has one of the largest mouths in Hollywood. Yes, that's 
That's physically or, or metaphorically? No, or both? Both. Forehead. Both. <laughs> okay. That was cruel, yeah. but he'd, accurate. He'd shown interest in adapting Casino Royale outside of the Bond universe and featuring Pierce Brosnan. Mm. He said he had a treatment prepared and that it was going to shoot totally in black and white. They wouldn't use the Bond theme. There would be no title sequence, no one-liners, and they would use voiceover of Fleming's text as narration for the film. Huh. So kind of like noir style? It would have been a film noir set in the Cold War era, and it would have been set immediately after the death of Tracy in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Okay, Whoa, that's going cool. back. Yeah. That would been cool. It was often reported that Eon rejected the treatment, but what's more likely is that Tarantino's refusal to join the Directors Guild prevented them from actually being able to hire him. It sounds like, based on some different sources through IMDb putting stuff up, that he may have actually had meetings with Eon about this. Oh, okay. But because of the Guild issue, and they are very much supportive of those Guilds in this stuff, that's come up quite a few times in Mm -hmm. our stuff, they wouldn't hire him. And Tarantino publicly blasted Eon, saying he refused to have anything more to do with Bond, except that he never really did in the first place. <laughs> so I don't want to be friends with you either. <laughs> I'm taking my ball and going home. Good. As a thought experiment, I don't hate that idea. Oh, that's cool. Especially like, we, we've talked about the Bond revenge movie, and they've sort of done it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. They tried to do it with License to Kill, but it doesn't work because it just comes off as silly. And they didn't ever get a chance to take advantage of On Her Majesty's Secret Service because Lazenby went completely cuckoo. <laughs> so we've never really had that in this franchise. And this would be the purest distillation of that. Hmm. So I don't hate the idea, but I don't like the idea of Tarantino doing it. I just don't trust him. No. Especially not with these movies. Yeah. I trust him with certain types of genre films, but not these. His thing is, it's it's super easy. It's like, he gets hyper-focused on his thing, right? I'm going to make a blank movie. Is it a Western? Is it a, a martial arts? Is it a heist? Whatever. And I am going to make, for better or worse, I'm going to make what I believe, what he believes is the purest version of that thing. And that is either very much in your wheelhouse or you're like, God, I hate this. Why is it three hours long? Uh, so, and those are really the only two reactions you get to Quentin Tarantino. There's very little that's like, meh. It's like, I hate it. I love it. I don't know how I'd feel about him. Like, if he was like, I'm going to make a great noir spy movie, mm-hmm. if that's the direction, which sounds like maybe. Like, that could be, be cool. cool. Right. It just happens to be James Bond. I, yeah, I just don't know. Again, it's tough with him. Anyway, cool. we got a different director. We did. That director is Martin Campbell from GoldenEye. He's Yay! back. He's back. I was shocked when I found this out. I did not realize that this man did both of those movies. That That's very surprising. That's, that's Pretty a little wild, weird. Right? Yeah. Now- Having seen Goldeneye very recently, and then watching this, I was like, no, actually, this makes sense. This makes sense. This feels a little bit like Goldeneye looking at it again. I was like, "Uh, yeah, no, there's that. The biggest difference is he's had about 10 years and leaps in technology. Sure. And a script that's a million times better. Like, no shade to Goldeneye. Goldeneye is the shit. Goldeneye ridiculously outperforms 
a pretty uh, basic script. Here's the thing. The aim of Goldeneye in presenting that new Bond and the aim of Casino Royale in presenting this new Bond, <laughs> completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Completely different things. They're apples and oranges. And I would say that in terms of rebooting it's the apples franchise. apples and watermelons. <laughs> <laughs> And in, in terms of rebooting the franchise, they accomplish their goal really well. Yes. Like I said, I really love Goldeneye. And Goldeneye yeah. was like one of my first Bond movies. So there's a little bit of closeness there, but it's also just still holds up as a really solidly made movie. And a lot of it's in, it moves. It moves. It just keeps going. It's relentless. Mm -hmm. This movie doesn't have quite as much of that because we stop down for some character stuff. Yeah. Not that that's bad, but it's like, you know, we do have a giant poker sequence in the middle of this movie, and that is tense, but it's definitely not action-filled. True. No. But, like, the story and, like, the, the villain, that plot is a lot more complicated than the plot in GoldenEye. Oh, yeah. But they explain it pretty well. Yeah, they're okay with it. That's where I just kept going, I agree that you just need to cut parts out, yeah. but there was a part of me that went... Why do we keep deep faking with like three different villains here? Like, can we just not say Lashif is the bad guy and let's just move on? Because we all know what we're really here for. Because we have to meet Mathis. We have to deepen the relationship with Vesper and the fact that like, she's not going to do what the fuck he wants her to do. I get that. I I'm thinking out loud of it's possible that we didn't need to do that. No, you're wrong. We mm. did. Also, he looks lighter. <laughs> Jeffrey Wright. I'm here for Jeffrey oh, Wright Felix every Slider fucking day. All day. Yeah, he had like <laughs> six lines in the movie, and I'm like, God, you're so good at your six lines. He's good at everything. Give him all the chips. Let him buy back in. Come on. <sighs> Felix Slider is a great character, and they have found a masterful way to use him in the series now. Yes, yeah? and I, I want him to have his own series now, please. Uh, it wouldn't be that interesting. I feel like Lighter is is a behind the scenes kind of guy. I just fucking love Jeffrey Wright. Yes, right. I agree. Put Jeffrey Wright in everything, but <laughs> you know, I, I just I love him so much. I want more of him in everything. Really, when it when it comes through that it was like, oh, this is the same guy that made Goldeneye. Is those action sequences? Mm -hmm. They feel yeah. so similarly paced. They keep moving. They keep. You know, really close shots and, and mm -hmm. really constant movement with the camera. And that's something that we've you felt in Goldeneye because it hadn't been in any of those movies in the 80s. It's funny, too. He I, I, this happens a lot with directors, too. But he, I'm, I'm almost certain I can't remember the name, but I'm almost certain that he brought his director of photography from Goldeneye with him because they work to get like everything that Martin directs. He almost always works with the same cinematographer. And that's generally like mm -hmm. a relationship that sticks with you for your entire career as a director. If you're seeing similar kind of like what you say about it always moving and it feels a certain way, it's like the combination of these two people have, it's just like their shorthand. Like they work so well together. You're like, they have a style. It's like a language oh, yeah. and it works. It's so good. Despite M not fitting with the chronology of the film, Campbell really wanted to keep Judy Dench on. So he was the one who pitched for that. That was the right choice. Yeah. Uh, okay, here's the thing. With Goldeneye, like, they kept M's role so small because they knew we're going with a female M, people aren't going to like this. And, and they gave her that one scene and, and it changed everything. everything. Everyone the loved it. We're going with the new Bond. People are going to have the reservations. 
let's keep M, whom everyone loved, to carry <laughs> him in. If this is the story we're going to tell, we're going to have a brand new agent. Let's keep M the same and have her deal with a brand new double O. That makes the most fucking sense. Yeah, and this this spurred on the argument of, is James Bond just a moniker? That yeah. actually comes up in the trivia, is that that's generally accepted by but, a lot of fans. But there are some people who divert from that because it's very much suggested that James Bond was his birth name. Like, James Bond is his actual name. So that's where yeah. some of the controversy comes in there. I'm fine with either argument. I'm also fine with the, like, his name could be James, but Bond is not his actual, like, family-given name. There's a lot going on. Also, who gives a fuck? It doesn't matter, really. <laughs> James but, yeah. Bond is a Time Lord. The end. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I think best. that's generally accepted as the truth of all of it. He is a Time Lord. Martin Campbell claimed that the only reason he decided to join the film was that he had nothing else going on. That's a good reason to do anything. <laughs> Classic Martin, am I right? No, I don't know. <laughs> and Broccoli and Wilson specifically went after him because they said, you did the debut of Pierce. We want you back to do the debut of a new Bond. I think no, that, that's cool. That, that was smart, especially since their last few directors were nightmares. Those last mm. two for sure. Yeah. And Martin Campbell specifically used the Sting, Maverick, and the Cincinnati Kid as inspirations for the poker scenes. Ooh. The Sting, for sure. You see it. It's on the yeah. screen. It's great. And Maverick. I fucking love that movie. Yeah. Phil Mahue, his cinematographer, actually was the one who came up with the black and white intro idea. He wanted to super surprise the viewers. Yay. So good. And that required obtaining 6,000 feet of black and, black and white negative. Ooh, I like it. In order to film that sequence. It's that you see it. It's there, though. You're like, that is the quality of it. You're like, it's film. Like, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's it's so surprising. And I remember being surprised by it when I was in the theater. And it still surprised me when I watched it. I'm like, oh, yeah. When we watched it, I went, I don't remember any of this. Yeah. And it's been a while since I've seen this. But I was just like, oh, I completely forgot that they did all this first. Yeah. And then, like, after it went through, I was like, okay, now I kind of remember that happening. Mm -hmm. But it yeah. is such a shocking turn. It's something yeah. they haven't done before. Nope. I love it. Who could have been better? No one. There was a rumor. <laughs> At no. one point, published reports claimed that Sean Connery might direct. Oh, that's pooey. <laughs> that's pure hooey. If yeah. he won't come back to Cameo in a tux to drink a fucking martini, he's not directing shit. No. God. <laughs> he is so done with James Bond. He's so done with everything. I mean, yes. <laughs> but like, you you hear his interviews from 1971. They had to pay him ridiculous amounts of money just to show up and do nothing for Diamonds Are Forever. Right, yeah. Yeah, he just threw out giant numbers telling them to fuck off, and then they just said, okay, and he's like, oh, all right. Yeah, they they double-checked. They're like, will this, will we get return on investment? Yeah, yeah, okay, good. Pay him. I don't, he would not be the most qualified person to, to direct a James Bond. Has he directed anything? I've never seen his name <laughs> as a director of anything either. I'm thinking about it now. He works good in things, right? Like British I, I, British tabloids are special. Yeah. Ugh. All right. We're on it. Our cast. Oh. And we start with Daniel Craig as James Bond. Yay! Our current Bond, our present Bond. <gasps> and until November of 2020. Yeah, and we won't know after that. We just won't know. Uh. 
Before this, he was in The Power of One, A Kid in King Arthur's Court, 1997's Obsession, Love is the Devil, Elizabeth, Lara Croft Tomb Raider, Road to Perdition, Layer Cake, The Jacket, Munich, and Infamous. After this, he was in The Invasion, The Golden Compass, Defiance, Cowboys and Aliens, Dreamhouse, The Adventures of Tintin, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, Logan Lucky, Kings, and Knives Out, along with the other Bond movies that we'll be talking about in this series. What do we think of Daniel Craig? He's a national treasure, even though he's not from our nation. He's, yeah. He's a smarmy little asshole in he's this movie. He's a little dick. Yeah. Especially now we have this image of Craig being like the ultimate fighter assassin Bond. Mm -hmm. But in this movie, he is out of control yep. and a total ass, along with being super ready to kill anyone. And yeah. he's smug. And I like I love that moment where he gets taken for a valet. <laughs> like, 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 I know he's wearing extremely expensive clothing. Yeah. But he's still dressed relatively casually. Like, he's not in suits all the time. And, like, he's checking out the cameras and they're like, are you the valet? Because he's essentially dressed like a valet. Yeah. And it's so great. And he's, yeah, he's just being smarmy and kind of smug. And he's just being a young guy who's just literally been given the license to kill. Yeah. Yeah. And then... Then mom comes along and is like, you got some this lady killed and you're in trouble and now I'm tracking you because you're in trouble. You're in trouble. <laughs> right. Slap on the wrist. It's true. I love the dynamic between M and Pierce Brosnan's Bond, but the the dynamic between Craig and this M is just a million times more amazing. This, yeah. I don't, I don't know how far in advance they planned, right? Like, uh -huh. But like it pays off in such a big way two movies from now. Like you, oh, it's yeah. unfortunate yes. you have to wait two movies to get to it, but Yes. Like <laughs> it's so worth it. It's so worth it. I don't I, I just I, even in the next film it's worth it. Right. It yeah. I, I don't think that they planned it out that far. Mm -hmm. But I think what that's a testament to is that especially in this iteration, they have really paid close attention to what they've built in mm -hmm. the previous films. Right. And they, they're like, this works. This relationship works, right? Whether they wrote it that way or that was just like as a result of these two actors being able to gel so well together, it, it was like very affecting. Totally. Like, okay, these two actors, let's see how they interact. We've This is how we've written it in this script. And then also, what have we not done before? Now that we've made M a woman, we've added this new element into Bond's life. And how does he interact with this female presence? He treats her like his mom, so she's a woman that he respects, and he, he questions her, because he questions yeah. anybody who's telling him what to do, but in a different way. Well, and he respects literally no other women. And like, <laughs> yeah. well, and, but, well, but hear me out on this. His thing with women, and it's really interesting in this movie, they've moved past the Pierce Brosnan stuff where it was clear he was just a complete womanizer. Total accessories. But Vesper clocks him in as you don't have any use for women other than a momentary release. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. that is not interesting to you whatsoever. Like, it's a totally different level yeah. that he's dealing with women on. And so between these two different women, like, it takes a long time for Vesper to finally get under his skin. Well, and he full, like, I love that they completely go into the whole, like, uh, you're not my type. Why? Because you're single. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
And I, it's like, I don't want anybody who's not already attached because I don't want to be their attachment. Like It's like, it is no. such, it is such a stratosphere level difference than what we've dealt with Bond before. And M even calls him out, I don't think attachment's your problem. Nope. <laughs> right. It's, it's, yeah. it's so great. <sighs> it's, uh. And he's he's just uh, he's perfect in those blue eyes and and he's blonde, <laughs> which is also not like I I I do know they called him James Blonde. Mm-hmm. Yes, they did. It's wildly different. It is a complete departure from the four no five Bonds we've had before. Yes. So that's that's fun. Not a requirement, but it's fun. You know, we and we've talked about we were like, well, this Bond feels a little like this one, or maybe the he doesn't feel like any other person that's done this in the franchise before. No. He doesn't. He doesn't. And he just he brings something different to the role, which is awesome. He, of course, is the first James Bond that was not cast by Albert Broccoli. So because he was dead. Yes. <laughs> he joins Connery and Lazenby as the only Bonds to be under the age of 40 when they started. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good because we needed that. And it- we need it again. We need I want a Bond that's like 34. Mm-hmm. Unless you're Pierce fucking Brosnan and you're just that. Easy to look at. No, I yeah. won't. <laughs> no. Yeah. Chris was like 42 in gold tonight, and he could have clocked looked, in at 30. He looked, no, he looked 35, which Fair. was fine. He, he looked much younger than 40. Yeah. Too, so that, uh-huh. that, that was fine. I'll allow it. But no, Diana's ready for like, I would, like, if he hadn't already done The Kingsman, I would say like, give me Taron Egerton. Well, I want to, I want a baby. Yeah, that's a possibility there. <laughs> I want a baby spy. <laughs> Craig was Barbara Rockley's first choice for the role after seeing him in Layer Cake. That was, she was dead set. It was like, this is our guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a, that was a bonkers movie. But he turned down the role initially in 2005 because he thought that the franchise had become too standard. Fair. And this is before they had a real script in place. Cool. So he was like, I'm just not that interested. Soon as he saw the final script, he immediately changed his mind. He's like, nah, man. Well, this looks good. Apparently, when Barbara Broccoli called him about winning the role, he was shopping for groceries, and she told him, over to you, kiddo. Aw. Craig immediately left the groceries at the store and then (laughs) celebrated with martinis. Nice. There's nothing else you're allowed to do. Yeah. You're required. The Speedo shorts. Yes. It's a choice. For that scene, there was a bunch of crew in boats out of range of the camera shoving away the paparazzi. (laughs) Cool. But the funny thing is, is that this moment is an accident. Oh. He was supposed to simply swim up to the beach to see Solange. Mm -hmm. Instead, he hit a sandbank in the water and had to stand up. Oh. Because he couldn't keep swimming. (laughs) And as he stood up, the camera caught it. And most fans thought it was actually a nod back to Ursula Andress coming out of the beach in Dr. No. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a total freak accident. Yeah, which is also a call to the Halle Berry scene. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. but it's great. But, but it was a total mishap. He just hit a sandbank. I love it. Uh, that's great because it's hot and it works and it's cute. And that <laughs> moment is considered a benchmark for the franchise. They think that may have won fans back who were boycotting over an unknown actor taking over Bond. Well, he's pretty, so. Yeah. I mean, he looks like he would murder. Like, that's what you kind of want. You're like, this guy's an assassin. And it's like, look at him. He would, <laughs> he would just one punch and you'd probably be dead. Yeah. Well, right? up until this Bond, Bond was always a guy who would take your lady 
and then kill a bad guy. <laughs> this is a guy who's gonna murder the fuck out of somebody. Yeah. And then could probably take a lady of whomever he chooses. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. But the killing is the is the one that they're really leaning into. <laughs> that came first. The scene also instantly made Craig a sex symbol, and he had not anticipated that it, quote, he would be haunted by it for the rest of his life. I don't feel bad for you. <laughs> right. Sexily haunted by it, but yeah, still. Yeah, a little bit. He prepared for the film by reading every single Fleming Bond novel. Oh, good. He did his homework. And talking with Mossad and British Secret Service agents that were working as advisors on Munich. Oh, okay. But one of the things he said, he, he specifically wanted to play up his vulnerability and have Bond make mistakes throughout the movie. And the screenwriters obviously worked with that, too. And his whole thing was that once he finally got everything right and working together, the audience would be that much more invested in Bond. Oh, 100%. Because they've gone along on the ride with him. Of course. Yeah. We, he's, he's our hero. We want him to succeed. Mm-hmm. As part of his fitness regimen, he completely quit smoking. He stated that because of all of the different stunts, he was in some form of pain throughout the entire shoot. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. He lost his two front teeth filming a fight in Prague, and his dentist had to fly in from London to replace them. Ugh, that sucks. <laughs> I feel like a pain. I've, uh, yeah. <laughs> the greatest note: all of the previous Bonds publicly and unanimously supported his casting in the role. Connery, yeah. Lazenby, Moore, Dalton, and Brosnan all went on record as saying, "This guy's great." <laughs> really happy. <laughs> Fuck, you're gonna make me cry. God damn it. That is cool. And he is the shortest actor to play James Bond. Really? He is 5'10. All of the rest of these gentlemen are around six foot two. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Oh, he's my height. Wow. He's breaking molds left and right. This I guy. know. I mean that's cool because yeah, he's more uh he's more built like a boxer. Yeah. And all bit. of our other bonds were more tall and slender. Of course. All right. On to maybe the most epic round of who could have been better we've ever done, because there are a lot of names. Okay. They all suck, but okay. <laughs> Starting with Pierce Brosnan. Fair. He actually was willing to stay in the franchise, but number one, having him return for a fifth film would have cost them $30 million at this nope. point. Nope. Oh. <laughs> he was commanding I mean, that much for this role. Here's the thing. He did his time. He, he did. He deserved to say, give him my money. And once they came up with this concept, he yeah, was way no. too old at 53. No. Like, they just knew once they decided, no, we want to go to the origin story, we can't. Did And didn't you also say the budget was like $150 million? So They, like, scaled, they had scaled like, back. They scaled back. They would have had movie. like 20%. It was like, just goes to Pierce. It's like, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Huh. I mean, it, they could have kept going with them if they wanted to. And they might have sure. come up with something kind of cool to do. If they'd done like a never say never again with Pierce, would have been really cool. Play up the fact that he's older. Well, we know they're doing some elements of that with No, no Time, Time to, to die. die. Yeah. Which makes total sense. Thank the fucking Lord. I've <laughs> <laughs> been telling them to do this from 1962 on. We have so many thoughts. Uh, when that movie comes out, it's gonna we're going to have to do like three different episodes about that one. It's going to be a whole thing. Also, who could have been better? Henry Cavill. At the time, he was only 22 years old. Mm. Whoa. The big debate was, is he too young to play this role? He still almost won the role. 
Damn. That's apparently how good he was. This was obviously before Superman. This is before Sorry. Superman. This Nobody is right knew be- who he was. This is actually right before all that stuff starts yeah, happening fair. for him. Fair. And by most accounts, he is now the fan favorite to take over for Daniel Craig. No. <laughs> I'm a hard no on that now. Mm, I don't know. I'm a hard no. If he's in he's... too many franchises. I got to veto True. it as well. Too many things. Too many. He franchises. can't be my Witcher and my James Bond. Those are incongruent. He can be my James Bond if, and I hate people doing this, but if he's willing to slim down a bit and not be be big beefy man. But then he can't be my Witcher. And he can't stay (laughs) Superman. (laughs) Right. He can't stay in Mission Impossible. I don't know if his character dies or not in that movie, but he's in it. All I know is he's apparently the most delightful man to work with on a set ever. Well, that's precious. And I love knowing (laughs) that about him as a human being. Oh. I don't know. that. Here's no. the thing. I, I understand why you would be reticent to cast him now, but just in pure terms of his acting ability, he's got it. Sure. He would oh. be really good as James Bond. Oh, he was too young. Absolutely. 22. If he was like more like 27, I would have given it to him. If, it just depends. If, if Craig had, had was still being like, no, and Henry Cavill was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going for it, and he was closer to 27, I'd be like, give it to him because of the longevity. Because that someone at 27 has got three, four, five, six, seven, eight movies in Absolutely. Them. Here's what yeah. I'm going to say. If Henry Cavill winds up being the new James Bond when all is said and done, I won't be mad. I won't. I'm going to make a skeptical face if That's they do it. <laughs> now, let's get into the crazier other names. Okay. Into it. Julian McMahon of Charmed and Nip Tuck. No. Dominic West. McNulty from The Wire. No. Oh. Gerard Butler. Fuck no. <laughs> Turned it down because he didn't want to be typecast. Fair. Goran Viznik. For this Bond, right wheelhouse, but no. Sam Worthington. Too pretty. Alex O'Loughlin, the lead from Hawaii Five O. Oh, he's a jackass, so no. <laughs> <laughs> Rupert Friend from Homeland. No. <laughs> no, yeah. He's Hitman. smarmy looking. He was in the Hitman movie, too. Yeah, he's not as fuckable, so no. Okay, how about Hugh Jackman? No. (laughs) No. Australian, no. He would have already been Wolverine at this point, too, right? (laughs) Same. Too many franchises. Mm -hmm. Right. Ewan McGregor. Ooh. Mm. Also, Also, too many franchises, but interesting. Also turned it down for fear of being typecast. Fair. He definitely, of all people. George Clooney. No, American. No. This was a producer option. They were feeling yeah. him out, and they planned to meet him and discuss, but he actually just turned it down flat. I'm American, and that's not right for James Bond. Agreed. Oh, I have respect. Mad respect. Clooney even said it. That is right. the only response. James Purifoy of the following. Ooh, I could see that one. He's now moved into, like, he is only allowed to play villains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He screen tested for that. It apparently did not go well. And he was like, I should never have even been in the room. No, but he would make a great <laughs> Which like, you oh, know no. what? Cool. Cool. Respect. Hey, but you know what? You got to go in the room to try. Yeah, he did. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Colin Farrell. No. No. I like <sighs> him. Don't get me wrong. I don't, I, I don't hate that guy. Like a lot of people really dislike no. that guy. I don't. I, no. He's a great actor. Just not for this. Carl Urban. Ooh. 
was not available to make the screen test due to other commitments. Star Trek. I would want to see that screen test, but I could see that because he could play. He, he has the look. He does have, he can have the look because, you know, he was also, what's his face in Ragnarok? Yeah, I know. <laughs> he can bulk up, he can bulk up like crazy if he wants he to, can- but all right. Those were the official ones. Rumored, but not verified whether they were approached or auditioned. Jude Law. Eh. Heath Ledger. No. Eric Bana. No. Orlando Bloom. No. no. Christian Bale. No. <gasps> well, yeah, they, they liked him in Batman. It makes sense. Too many franchises. Too many franchises. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Here's the thing about Christian Bale. He's a character actor in a very nice package. He can't do Bond. No. Finally, the fan favorite to play James Bond at the time mm-hmm. was Clive Owen. Ooh, yeah. That's that's a good he's pretty. He is pretty. And he's not as pretty now, but he was definitely pretty enough to be Bond in 2006. And he fits that dirty Bond. Yep. He fits that tone. He would have had the yeah. same look as the other guys, but then would have played the the nastiest. Yeah, he's nasty. That's it. That's yeah. That is the only comparable choice on the list, probably. I'm into it. Yeah. Okay. I told you. That was an epic round of who could have been better. <laughs> All right, on to Ava Green as Vesper Lind. Before this, she was in Bertolucci's The Dreamers and Kingdom of Heaven. After this, she was in The Golden Compass, Womb, Perfect Sense, the 2011 TV version of Camelot, Dark Shadows, 300 Rise of an Empire, Sin City, A Dame to Kill For, Penny Dreadful, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, and 2019's Dumbo. What do we think of Ava Green in this movie? It's inspired. She was the best. I will hear no arguments to the contrary. <laughs> I did not know who Ava Green was before this movie. So this is my introduction to her. I liked her a lot. I think she is a very delicate tone, so which is very unusual for a Bond film and for a Bond girl. Mm-hmm. And so I liked that. Um, she just kind of like moves through each scene very lightly in a way that I was, I've never seen happen. So I really, I really liked her. You know, it's funny because the other Casino Royale is a pile of crap. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but one of the few interesting things about it is Ursula Andress playing Vesperland in that movie. Uh-huh. I feel like there's some cues that felt similar. There is a delicateness to Vesper in that movie. I mean, she's also, it's being played for a completely different take. But mm. there is that sort of high fashion, very proper... Takes no bullshit, but is also very much from a different world than Bond. Yeah. Um, she comes from the treasury. She deals with just business stuff. Well, it's just, it's that first scene we see them where they both size each other up. Oh, yeah. Now, I'd have normally gone with only child, but, um, you see, by the way you ignored the quip about your parents, I'm going to have to get with Orphan. All right. By the cut of his suit, you went to Oxford or wherever. Naturally, think human beings dress like that. But you were it with such disdain. My guess is you didn't come from money. And your school friends never let you forget it. Which means you were at that school by the grace of someone else's charity. Hence the chip on your shoulder. And since your first thought about me ran to orphan, that's what I'd say you are. It was she so has- perfect. And it, it is. Because they're both pretending to be something they're not. And they both call each other on it. Yeah, that's fair. And it's perfect. And then they both do it again. I bought you this dress because I need you to do this thing. I got you this jacket because you need to look like something you're not. 
do it. And then it's just <laughs> yeah, like. He is so offended. And, the, the, and and she like, she's like, fine, whatever. And he's like, what the fuck? This is horrible. And then she doesn't do the thing he wants her to do because she's like, fuck you. <laughs> it's right. great. He's met his like match. Like yes. inte- intellectually, someone who is not like, you could tell that this has never happened to him before. <laughs> and I love that. It's yeah. so good. He's not used to feeling powerless against a woman. The only comparable Bond girl is Diana Rigg. Yes. On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah. Again. The one big piece of trivia for her is that in her shower scene, she was actually supposed to be wearing nothing but underwear. Daniel Craig stepped in and argued that in that kind of a state of anxiety, she would never have stopped to take her clothes off. And they yeah. they went with it. They kept the dress on. Aww. And that scene was completed in one take. That makes me love him that much more. Mm-hmm. As just like a person, because like that's really good for her character. And as an actress, like like no unnecessary nudity. Yeah. Yay. Right. It's a beautiful scene because you know, like they're wearing thousands upon thousands of dollars of clothes, and they're both just sitting in the shower. And the idea that it was like, oh yeah, there's real fucking consequences on your mental health to seeing that kind of shit go down. And they're being vulnerable. Wow, isn't it amazing? Yeah. What happens when you have characters be vulnerable in an action movie? It's so lovely. <laughs> <sighs> it's wonderful. Who could have been better? Again. A laundry list of names. Cool. Angelina Jolie. No. No. Naomi Watts. Eh, no. Scarlett Johansson. No. Mm-hmm. She ruins everything. <laughs> Whoa. Well, ScarJo does ruin most things. She Let's does. be honest. Charlie's Theron. Oh, okay. Maybe I've seen yeah. her do so much good work. I'm like, yeah. I mean, you oh. could tell her to read the phone book. She could make it work. She could. If Quentin was doing this movie, so mm-hmm. we can put it in that context, he was going to have Uma Thurman. Of course he was. But no. Oh, yeah. It's no. his muse. Ugh. He likes her feet. Um. <laughs> Vera Farmiga. Oh, that would. That, okay. Was, quote, too American. <laughs> what? That's, <funny. laughs> That's very funny. It's about to get worse. Ava Longoria uh, was, uh, quote, too Latin. Fuck off. Oh, good <laughs> lord. The broccolis are not known for their uh, subtlety. Okay. I will say this with Ava Longoria at this time. Given her status on Desperate Housewives, I understand not wanting to cast her. Well, that's fair. Like I, that's a horrible. It's a horrible description of like no. The fact that they were willing to say that publicly about her is fucking ridiculous. That's horrible. I understand not casting her while she was on Desperate Housewives. Yeah, but no. Yeah, no. Kira Knightley. Too young. They wanted an older actress. That's the Mm. appropriate thing. Miranda Richardson turned them down. Right. Auditioning for this film, for this role, Ellen DeGeneres. What? What if I just did that for five straight weeks? <laughs> that um, wouldn't be long enough. You want to know who I want to see <laughs> Ellen DeGeneres play in this movie? Mathis. I want to see her play yo, Mathis. Yo. No, I want Robin Williams to play Mathis if we're going to get a comedian. Mathis had some great lines. Mm. I think Ellen probably would have been able to pull it off, too. Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't know. Robin would have been amazing, though. Mm. He would have been amazing. Doing no, that. you want to know who he should have been? Le Chief. He could have done Le Chief. He could have done Le Chief. Ugh. He could have been Largo and never said never again. He could have been any Bond villain. He let's could, be honest. He, he could have been Blowfield and it would have been the shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then 
little more listing here. Jennifer Connelly. Okay. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Rachel McAdams. Too young. I, I could... Uh, yeah. A little too young. Yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer. Ooh, love her. Fun. Rachel Sterling, Diana Riggs' daughter. Oh, interesting okay. connection. And Olivia Wilde. Too Again, young, too young. Maybe at this time, Pro- yeah. Probably still too young. I think there was look why like she just looks too young next to him. Well, and it just depended. Like I, I think they were still figuring out: do we want Vesper to just be a super young person, or do we want her to be an older actress who feels that way? And yeah, right. They, yeah, they made a great choice. Uh, they did. I want whoever Bond is pursuing and sleeping with to be of an appropriate age. Yes. And finally, for our main cast, we have Mad About Mads Mikkelsen as Le Chief. Le Chief. A Danish legend and now a renowned American bad guy. Before this, he was in the Pusher series in Denmark, 2004's King Arthur, and After the Wedding. After this, he did Flame and Syrian, Valhalla Rising, Clash of the Titans, The Three Musketeers from 2011, A Royal Affair, The Hunt, Charlie Countryman, Men and Chicken, Hannibal on television, Doctor Strange, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, At Eternity's Gate, Polar and Chaos Walking, which is coming out this year, I think. What do we think of Mads Mikkelsen? He kicks ass. I mean, he, he doesn't kick ass. He's awesome at doing almost nothing except he's for great. He's just such an ominous presence. That's he what. Is. That's all I want, really. I don't need a, <laughs> like we said, it doesn't need to be diamond face. He doesn't need to have a thing where he feels no pain or some shit like that. Like oh, just God. be. Oh. A bad dude. Yes. There are stakes in this movie for him. That's so brilliant. He's in trouble too. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. He's not just a guy with a pointing a laser at Earth. It's not that. That's not that. (laughs) Exactly. And so like, I love it. Like it's not, we're not just playing poker for the sake of like, Bond's got to play poker. He's got to play a card game in a, in a, in a movie. It's no, our bad guy has to win this game so that he doesn't get murdered Uh by all the people whose money that he lost. Yeah. So our bad guy is in trouble with other bad guys. It's awesome yeah yeah and you always you take a white dude with a lot of money and he's doing things in the stock market and you're like this also reflects the times great (laughs) true very relatable villain (laughs) awesome but i mean he joined some pretty great company as we said peter laurie played the original Lashif in 1954 Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And as wacky and dumb as it was, Orson Welles is still pretty imposing Orson from 1967. Cool. Another yeah. one of the few highlights of that movie is True. Orson Welles being the chief. True. He was probably the only reason I, I think I gave that movie <laughs> the half point that I gave. <laughs> yeah. All right. That is it for our main cast. We now move on to Arpon's Random People of Note. Yay. We start with Judy Dench as M in this film. I put her as an Arpon here because she's really not a main part of the story yet. No. Nope. She's still technically an Arpon. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey Wright as Felix Leiter. We talked about him just earlier. He was in Shyamalan-tober with uh, Lady in the Water. Yeah. And the big news, he's going to be Commissioner Gordon in 2021's The Batman. Hells yeah. So yeah. Who could have been better if Tarantino was doing it? It was going to be Samuel L. Jackson. Gross. Oh, no. Not in that role. No. <laughs> Sam Jackson is Felix Leiter? <sighs> I don't need a Felix Leiter okay. character saying badass motherfucker all the time. Sam Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't need that in that role. 
Don't ruin Felix Leiter for me, please. Giancarlo Giannini as Rene Mathis mm-hmm. is a big character actor and is going to reappear in Quantum of Solace. Yes, he will. Ooh. This is the first ever Eon Bond production to attach Bond's original ally, Rene Mathis, to the franchise. Cool. So he hmm. is like, before Leiter, before anybody, Rene Mathis was his guy. Cool. We have Isaac de Boncole as Stephen Obano. He is playing the sort of General Coney character. He works a lot with Jim Jarmusch now, and he was also in Black Panther. Hmm. Jesper Christensen as Mr. White. He is going to be a constant presence in this franchise except for Skyfall. So keep an eye out for him. Mm. Tobias Menzies as Villiers. He's in the control him. room with M. I adore him so much. Of course, he is the new Prince Philip in the newest seasons of The Crown mm-hmm. and Edmure Tully in Game of Thrones. Sebastian Foucault as Malaka. Biggest thing, this is our parkour dude. He choreographed all the parkour sequences. He was responsible for that whole stunt sequence and is one of the public faces of parkour. Ludger Pistor as Mendel. He appeared in Run, Lola, Run. Clemen Schick as Krat. We've seen him before as Roach in the 2015 Point Break. Tom Chadbon as a stockbroker. He was High Septon Maynard in Game of Thrones. We have Ade as Infante at the poker table. He is a sort of cult figure and was in the movie Snatch. Sai Chin as Madame Wu, who we see a few times at the poker table. She played Ling in You Only Live Twice. Oh, wow. Whoa, that's pretty rad. She's the one who actually sets up Bond's fake death in You Only Live Twice. (laughs) We also have Verushka von Lendorf as Gräfin von Wallenstein. Um, (laughs) Of course. Crazy ass name. She's at the poker table, but she is a legendary model who was the featured model in Michelangelo Antonioni's blow up. So Mm. like she is an iconic film presence. That's cool. We have Diane Hartford as another card player. She had an uncredited role in Thunderball. So they're bringing in some like old school Bond actors for this movie. I love it. As one of the hot room doctors, when they're trying to get James not poisoned anymore, we have Crispin Bonham Carter. Whoa. I recognize that surname. Despite sharing names, he's only a distant cousin of Helena. (laughs) His father is her third cousin. Okay. But he did actually appear with her in Howard's End. Oh, cool. So that's kind of fun. Michael G. Wilson as the chief of police. He has to be in every movie. Yep. Because he just does. But fun part, he acted as the poker consultant for this film. Okay. Phil McHugh, our cinematographer, plays a treasury bureaucrat in this film. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I like it. Alessandra Ambrosio appears as a tennis girl. She's a super famous model who's appeared as herself in several movies and in Daddy's Home and Daddy's Home 2. Sir Richard Branson as a man at airport (laughs) security. Man at airport. (laughs) He has a blink and you'll miss it cameo. And the fun part about this is that his cameo is cut out of all in-flight versions of this film because of his ties (laughs) to Virgin. Fair. Except British Airways. He made it in their version. That's funny. (laughs) and finally martin campbell our director is an airport worker in this movie i love it yeah if you can't be at the table you might as well be at the airport right he's in goldeneye somewhere too so yeah he gets they 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 put themselves in these movies it's kind of fun why not all right our song it's you know my name by chris cornell damn 
so good. And I remember, like, as I was waiting for the song to start, I was like, wait, what is this song? And this song is the shit. Because it's, you know my name? Fuck you, you're coming to see a Bond movie. Yeah. Like, this song. Now, okay, apart from the movie, this song is great. It's a great song. Yeah. This song applied to this film is the shit. It's one of the best Bond songs we've had. It just sets the tone. It it does the appropriate amount of hearkening back to the old ones. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, we legit had maybe one of the top ones with The World Is Not Enough. I mean, Garbage Is The World Is Not Enough is fucking great. Yes. But it is 90s. Yeah. And then Die Another Day is fucking bizarre. It's very Madonna. So we've we've gone way down the 90s rabbit hole. And here comes Chris Cornell, who not only knows how to write a song, we knew that, but right. he also knows how to write a song for the thing he's writing it for. Mm-hmm. Like, if he's writing a Soundgarden song, it's not going to sound the same as one he wrote for Audio Slave versus one he wrote for his solo career. That's it. And so he's good enough to recognize, I'm writing a Bond song. Mm-hmm. And he does it perfectly. He was really inspired by Live and Let Die and the Tom Jones version of Thunderball. Mm-hmm. Those were his two go-tos. And I feel that. You have the rock element mixed with the big orchestra element, yeah. and it flows together perfectly. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go into a reggae thing either, like Live yeah. and Let Die did, or whatever <laughs> that little interlude. It just kicks your ass the whole time. And then paired with that title sequence, which is the show. Oh my god! Yeah. It's gorgeous. And I remember, again, I remember sitting in that theater going, this is cool. I like this. <laughs> yeah. I literally went home and like looked at a deck of playing cards. I'm like, they fucking nailed it. Yeah. This lid looked exactly they killed like all these those cards. people with the suits. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. People in all suits the, are being killed by lines. suits. The yeah. layers. And the geniuses. And Chris Cornell's saying stuff like the odds will betray you. You're like, oh my God, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> There's so many layers. They're geniuses. They should do this for a living. It really gives you chill. I, I don't know about it. Like when I watched it again for this yeah. uh, and sitting down for just the title sequence, I got chills. I was like, I mean, this is cool. it is a miracle that a movie gets made at all. Right. And then when it gets made so well, you're yeah. like, I, I cannot believe that conceptually all of these things came together as well as it did. Mm -hmm. It just, yeah. It's also just for this song specifically, it's a testament to that dude. He knew how to do it. Yes. He was one of the greats. Mm -hmm. Debuted at number 79 in the US and number seven in the UK. The weird part is it doesn't actually appear on the soundtrack. Rude. This is the first (laughs) time in franchise history that's happened. That's just rude. The only thing I can think is that Cornell was probably with a different record label. Maybe. And so in the negotiations, they were like, I'm getting a single. You guys get the rest. Fair. And the funniest part, it does not ever mention Casino Royale mm-hmm. because no. to him, it didn't fit in the lyrics. It doesn't. And it, you, it makes no sense. And that's not what this is about. Yeah. This is setting the table for the story we're about to hear, which is Bond becoming Bond. And you already know his name. And in his typically dorky fashion... Chris Cornell noted that Casino Royale wouldn't make a good rock title, but I'd sing a song named Octopussy just for fun. <laughs> yeah, that's that's Chris Cornell. So long as it's got mentioned to Lady Butchers. That's Seattle grunge all the way. Lady Butchers. I know, Lady Butchers. Or Dude Butchers. Or, Every or, time you bring this up, butchers. I'm just going to remind you, Bond in clown makeup, butchers. diffusing a nuclear bomb. Butchers. 
Just butt chairs. <laughs> butt chairs. Do a Google search right now for butt chairs. All right. We are finally on trivia. <laughs> this movie's insane. Yeah. There's a lot. There were 300 pieces of trivia for this movie, but a lot were duplicates, Damn. so it worked okay. out okay. The casino in Casino Royale is inspired by the Casino Estoril in Lisbon. This is the original novel we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, mm. That was a place where German agents frequented in World War II. And according to Fleming, he lost all his money on Baccarat on three separate occasions there. Okay. <laughs> Baccarat. So. Unbelievable. It's a game that makes no sense. It's playing war for money, you know? That's what it is. But you have the best odds you could possibly have at a gambling table, so. I guess. That's why it costs so much damn money. Um, <laughs> right. The parkour scene took six weeks to film. <laughs> it's only the second time a foot chase has happened in the Bond franchise. The first time is the parade in Thunderball. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. And it was totally inspired by a foot chase that happened on rooftop that was edited out of On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Hmm. So wow. the Aston Martin DBS barrel roll broke the world record for the most barrel rolls assisted by a cannon. That's awesome. At the end? that At the end of the movie? When yeah, it, the big flood oh, where he's, damn. he has to swerve to miss Vesper. Loses a tire and <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was rough. <laughs> that car had racing specifications, so just doing a ramp wasn't going to get it to roll. That okay. thing was built to stay on the ground. Okay. So they installed an air-powered cannon behind the driver's seat. And once they got it to roll, it did a full seven rolls. I counted. It did. Um, <laughs> entering it into the Guinness World Book of Records at that time. That's awesome. Three of those cars were destroyed in one afternoon, each of them valued at around $300,000. Wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, it looks amazing. It's so. a pretty fucking car <laughs> that they totally destroyed. Yeah. yeah. But not for gratuitous reasons. No. Interestingly enough. I appreciate that too. Like, let's not just smash up a bunch of cars. Like, we need to do this thing. Yeah. And it looks amazing. It does. No Bond girls were included in the opening sequence because his persona had not been established until the end of the film. Fucking love it. Yeah. That's not who he is in this film. So we don't like, he's an assassin. Our opening sequence is about being an assassin. Fucking love it. Super smart. Someone is paying attention. Uh-huh. <laughs> it is the longest Bond film up until this point. Pirated copies could already be found in London two days after the film's premiere. Damn. In fact, while Craig was walking through the streets of Beijing after the premiere, he got offered a bootleg copy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Here, it's on the house for free. <laughs> the man that M is in bed with, because we see M with a man. Uh-huh. Yeah. Was the film's transport coordinator. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> just some guy that was like, you look like you would be her husband or boyfriend. So just lay <laughs> you're, a, you're a man of appropriate age. Go lay down. Yeah. <laughs> Take a snooze. We'll pay you. You look tired. Would you like to lay in bed with Judy Dench? Yes, you would. <laughs> the answer is. If nothing else, it's going to be a great story. Yeah. And you get paid as an extra today now. So <laughs> bonus. Yeah. According to Craig, the only CGI used in the film was to erase the safety wires in the stunt sequences and to integrate the models for the sinking palazzo. That's awesome. Yep. Damn. Love it. Don't know how true that is, but judging by what they did, most of this is practical effects. Like, like there have never been a CGI-heavy franchise. No. I mean, there's 
Like there's if you CG, really want to amp it up, you're clearly going to have to use it for certain things. Yeah, but for like for safety reasons, like they wanted they they want stuff to be blown up, they're going to blow it up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so it works. Better than losing your foot on a mini copter. Okay, nobody lost their foot. Nope. So that's good. Great. That's that's our threshold. <laughs> the Madagascar sequence was completely filmed in the Bahamas. They used an abandoned site at Coral Harbor for that whole whole military base. And that was the same place that they did hotel rooms for Thunderball. Oh, that's cool. Nice. So they actually, like, that was one of the interesting things, is that they really only had three filming locations. They had, like, London, the Bahamas, and Prague. Okay. But they subbed those places in for a bunch of different places in the movie. Well, I mean, that's what they did, like, a lot. They filmed every fucking thing in Hawaii. I know. But they, they made it look like everywhere. But they kind of pull it off. It's yeah. not bad. One week after filming completed... The 007 stage at Pinewood again burned down, just like it did before A View to a Kill started filming. Mm. The team had just finished filming the Venice interior sequences when that happened. Wow. So. That stage is cursed. It's got, it's burned down twice. Yep. (laughs) Special permission had to be granted from the Venetian authorities for Bond's yacht to sail through the Grand Canal. Oh, okay. No one could remember the last time a pleasure yacht had sailed there, but most of the locals said it had at least been several centuries. Mm. Damn. I mean, it was a large, large boat. I could understand that. A large sailing yacht. And it's like, this is for like transport craft only. We can't yeah. have people with crazy expensive boats running through here. Well, <laughs> right. That's a huge problem they have in Venice. They oh, do- yeah. Like the cruises just come by and it's just like- they don't, people don't get off the cruise ships to spend money there, but they come by just to look at it. And it's destroying the buildings. Yeah. So. So, yeah. <gasps> this is the first Bond film to be approved by Chinese censors. Yeah, because they didn't say anything bad about the Chinese. Yeah, all, all of the others had only been available as bootlegs. <laughs> yeah, because mm. they didn't say anything bad about the Chinese in this one. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. Roger Moore was supposedly so impressed by this film that he actually went out and bought a DVD copy to own. (laughs) You made an old man buy a DVD. I love that man so much. Uh, Roger Moore is such a dork, and I adore him. (laughs) The Miami airport scene was actually filmed in three different airports in three different countries, none of them in Miami. Uh, (laughs) It was all at the Nassau International Airport in the Bahamas, Dunsfield Park Aerodrome in Dunsfield Park, Dunsfield, Surrey, England, and the Ruzhnia International Airport in Ruzhnia, Prague, Czech Republic. Like I said, they stayed in these three areas and then just did everything there. They kept the budget down. Yeah. Super smart. smart. The interior of the Venice sinking house was a 45 by 40 foot and 45 foot high set. Okay. It was built around the Pinewood indoor tank. Oh, okay. The same place that Titanic was filmed. Yeah. The same place that a bunch of stuff has been filmed. And that tank they then expanded to allow the full set to sink 16 feet underwater. Cool. Damn, that's awesome. It weighed 90 tons in total. It used hydraulics and electronics to control how far it would go. Uh They could precisely decide how far it would go underwater so everybody could stay safe. Yeah. The valves were all computer controlled, and they had a one-third scale model that they used for the exterior shots of it sinking underground. Oh. Hmm. The water was pushed upward by compressors controlled by technicians on the outside. See, aren't you glad I made you watch Titanic so you know all about that stupid fucking I know, tank? right? 
That fucking tank. It's going to show up so many goddamn times. They spend so much damn money building that thing. It will exist longer than you and you and I will. I know. Right. Will. They still haven't made their money back on that tank yet, I bet. I don't we, know. We haven't broken even. <laughs> to film the police car being blown into the air by the jet wash of the 747, they actually had the second unit use a crane with a cable attached to the rear bumper. Oh, jeez. So that's how they actually got that effect. But the Mythbusters earlier... Before this movie uh-huh. had proven that that was possible Ooh. for a truck like that to get caught in jet wash and be blown back. That's cool. That is awesome. The poisoning scene was concocted by a physician in Aberdeen named James Ferguson. He was a big fan of the movies and threw it out to the producers. And because they used it, he was actually retained as a medical advisor for the future Bond films. Oh, that's fine. Yay. This is the first film after 44 years of James Bond where it rains in the film. It has never rained on James Bond before. Wow. (laughs) That's unusual. It's because he's blonde, isn't it? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) So rude. We cracked it. Many Bond films are known for their high-stakes gambling on set. Mm -hmm. Roger Moore and Albert Broccoli bet on backgammon, and this movie was no exception. Poker was a common pastime among the cast and crew. Sure. And finally, Daniel Craig's Navy suit at the end of this film is the exact same style as Sean Connery's gray suit in Goldfinger. Yeah, yeah it's hot as fuck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, everyone, is Casino Royale. A triumph. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a amazing. great Bond flick. It's so good. That's why I've watched it three times last <laughs> week. Like, I watched it the first time because I'm like, I haven't watched this movie in a couple years. Like, I need to, like, remember what are the big plot points again and then we turned it on, and I felt I was napping through a good chunk of it, but I was like, I'd, every time I'd like be like, oh, yeah, this part. And then, oh, yeah, this part. And then I watched it again yesterday, because I was like, I want to watch it again. <laughs> it's so good. So, we have to do ratings. We do. We have a special rating system for every film, uh-huh. and this rating will be out of whatever we decide the rating will be. Mm-hmm. Half points are included. Oh, boy. Mm, what should our rating system be? Do we go for Vespers? I was going to say that. Oof, it's yeah. either that or bleeding eyes. Gross. <laughs> Gross. Now, if we're doing the iconography, the Vesper makes sense. Vespers. It's a good drink. It's a good bond, lady. Mm-hmm. I'll let you go first, mm-hmm. Diana. Oh, I get to go first. Mm, four. I'm going to go four as well. I- My qualification on the four is I also give... I gave From Russia with Love a little bit lower at the time. I've that movie has like grown more for me since I've thought about it more. And Goldfinger the same. And so like all of these best Bond movies, I was like, I give them a four. Andrew, I'm giving this a five Vespers because I I like this I, again. Taken out of the the context of a James Bond movie, this is still a this is a great movie when James Bond is removed from it. Mm-hmm. And but uh, again, for me, I can't get over the fact of how they reinvented this franchise at this film. And for that alone, the bringing him back and making him relevant in a, in a cool way, even where Daniel Craig's like, no, I'll pass. You've, <laughs> you've taken it too far afield to get him to come back. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to go with five on this one. Not the only five-star James Bond, but among an, an elite class of five, five Vespers. Uh, you, make, uh, you make me want to change my rating. <laughs> You can do it. You can change it now. Uh, I'm going to change mine to a 4.5. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm going to change it to a 4.5 because I'm still like, I still think there's a few tiny edits. I do. I do think there's a good 15 minutes we can cut out of this film that we can shave. 
I also I believe that also. I do I do think that the fact that I watched this movie three times in one week is a test. <laughs> you can't <That> says something. <laughs> you can't go. It's like, and I can't say that literally about any other movie we've ever watched for this podcast. <laughs> like I've never done that before. Andrew, if people <laughs> want to find more of you on the wonderful internets, where can they find you? Yeah, if you like how passionate I am about this James Bond movie, <laughs> you can maybe double, maybe triple that. And I put just as much passion into talking about Keanu Reeves over on Cool Breeze Over the Mountains. You can find that coolbreezepod.com. Subscribe wherever you do your podcasty things. Oh, I think you're underselling it on the three times as much. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I mean, it's way more than three. I've taken like years of my life to dedicate to just talking about Keanu Reeves on a weekly basis, but that's exactly what I have done. And I've roped in some really other excellent people to help me do that as well. We're in this weird period of time now where Keanu, it's this post Matrix, pre John Wick part of Keanu's career mm -hmm. at this point where you probably don't know any of them. I don't. I, we have 16 movies in this part. I've seen like five of them. So, so all valley. of these are, yeah, all of these are kind of like new to me. And it's, it's cool to just go on this journey because it's, it's pretty predictable, you know, when we rank things and, uh -huh. you know, when we get to a certain movie, you're like, number one, uh-huh, oh, number two, and number three. Got it. <laughs> so Keanu's uh, blue period. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Before, some... before the Keanu sons. <laughs> He's done some bad. He's done some bad things in this period. I'll be honest. Not, you know, okay. it's not as a person. Obviously, he's perfect he's and he can do no wrong. He just chose some questionable roles. I don't understand. It's all good. Coolbreezepod.com. It's it's a lot of fun. I guarantee, if nothing else, you'll have fun. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking this much about Bond. <laughs> this has been so much fun. We appreciate it. This has been great. The epicest Anytime. of Bond conversations that we could have had. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Next week is Quantum of Solace. And we're definitely going to have to have you back once No Time to Die comes out. Like, that's <laughs> going to be a whole thing. I am. I mean, whenever it comes out, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'm, I'll be back. Yes, yes, please. Yes. I would love to see them tie this thing up and make it great. All right. Well, until next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.